0: All right, well, that is beginning now. Today, we get to start a very special, uh, a, a new series called Unshakable, Standing Strong When Things Go Wrong. And uh, I tell you what, the very first Easter, the disciples thought, man, a lot of things went wrong, right? And then uh, things went really, really right. God showed his power. But I'll tell you that there are times in our life that things go wrong, and we have to Oftentimes we ask ourselves, where is God? And our faith is shaken and our world is shaken. And so we're going to be talking about that the next seven weeks as we go through this series. And we're going to be following along. There's a book that was written by Nelson Sears. He's a pastor in in New York. He also has a church there in in Florida. And he's been in ministry for for several decades. And he wrote this book after several decades of, of realizing that most people come to church not when their life is going really well, but usually they start going to church when things are going really wrong. And he realized that, that when most people are coming, they, he recognized that, that they were looking for answers, looking for stability and faith. And so he took some of his notes and things for all those years about what does the Bible have to say? How does it faith help us stand strong in the midst of difficult times? And so things like family problems, or illness, or lack of purpose or temptation, or financial stress or career challenges, or the death of a loved one, and there's, there's others. Have you ever gone through those things? I'll tell you what, that, that our God has answered for us. He gives us ability. We're going to be talking about that these next few weeks. But uh, we'll be following along. Now, Nelson is not just a pastor in New York, he's also the leader of a, of a coaching network for pastors, which I am a part of. And it's been very helpful for me to learn how I can serve you and our community better. And uh, he wrote this book several years ago. It was ready for a, a reprint on it. And since we were in the coaching network, uh, He heard about our story as a church. Uh, What happened after I just became lead pastor and a flood hit? And we'll talk about that in a minute. And he said, you know what? That fits perfectly what we're talking about in this book. And so he asked me to write the foreword on that. So um, if you would like to see what I look like without an awesome mustache, there's a picture of me on the back. And all this, and since you're here today, we have a free copy of this for for all of you, and so after the service, there's a table there, please help yourself and take one of those our gift, and uh, we'll be as we go through this series now, let's get into the Bible. You know that, uh, that I talked about that there was a a a flood that happened, and, and uh, in two thousand and thirteen uh, in actually July of 2013 I became the lead pastor here and I was an associate pastor for 10 years did youth group and all kinds of other stuff and and the lead pastor uh, went to Florida and it was a a time of good transition for us and I was very excited after all of those years to finally be able to to do I felt my calling was and to be able to to serve this church and it was really exciting and it was awesome and then September 11th which is an awful day just just all it started to rain Do you remember that and it rained a lot. And, and the, the rain came down and the winds blew and the creeks rise and all that kind of stuff. And about a third of our church had their homes and businesses destroyed to the point that they couldn't even stay in Estes any longer. Our our church was, this building was flooded. We couldn't even drive here. The driveway up here was washed out. We couldn't even get to the church building. But if we got here, you know, this back wall had mold all over because moisture sat in here for so long. It was just nasty and awful. And the downstairs, which is a beautiful place for our children to have ministry right now, was under several feet of water and it was gross and awful. And I saw that and I said, well, it's been a fun run right here was my dream i got to be able to serve you i thought it was amazing i thought i got a month and that was it i thought we were going to close the doors and and i was a little discouraged i won't lie and our home my wife and i had just finished our downstairs and it got flooded as well and and ruined that and and uh and i thought you know uh month in i guess the lord doesn't want me to be here we got a month so if we're going to go out Figure we're going to close the doors. Let's go out loving our community. Let's do that. And you guys, this awesome church, you answered the call. And though many of you had flooded basements and businesses and things like this, so many of you came out and helped to muck out our neighbors' houses and, and apartments and businesses and, and loved each other and loved our community, and it was awesome. And look what it God has done. But I'll tell you this, at that time, I didn't know that we were going to be here. So what I did is uh, I went and I started touring the community, see where were the areas of, of disaster, what happened, right? And I, there was this one time I was, I was going down in the canyon, and, uh, and there was these houses that were built along the river that were destroyed. You could see the water came, and the, and the river rose, and, and it eroded the banks, and it began to erode the foundation of these houses and these, these once proud houses that stood there by the water uh, were now just collapsed and in heaps and were moved off their foundations. Except there was this one that was kind of in the middle of it that stood, stood there. Now, its deck was gone, but the house itself was still standing. And as you saw where the banks just kind of were eroded away, you can see why the house was still standing is that its foundation, it was revealed, was was rooted right on top of Rocky Mountain granite. It was awesome. And that house withstood the storm. And I thought to myself in that time, I said, you know, God, I want my faith to be like that. I want my faith to be the kind of faith that when, when the floods of life come, and even if others fall apart around me, I want my faith to be solid so I don't have to fear the storm. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. This is, we're going to be talking about building our lives on an unshakable faith. The kind of faith that endures when times are good, but also when times are bad. And so, this kind of faith we're going to talk about today is rooted, is built on the bedrock of Christ's resurrection. That's really where it begins. I mean, for me, in my own faith, I spent several years investigating other faiths, wondering uh, where I would would fall, like where was God? I was looking for him. And the thing that brought me to Christianity was that really uh, sealed the deal for me was this. It was the reliability, the actual history, the, the historical reality of Christ's resurrection. And if Jesus raised from the dead, that means that he had to die. And if Jesus died, then we'd have to ask, what did he die for? And scripture tells us why he died. And he died because he loves us. That means our God loves us. That means that there was grace available for us. And if he rose again, it means he was more than a man. And he has the power to save us. It is the bedrock of everything we believe. Now, if you want to go on the journey with me back maybe 2,000 years or so, that very first Easter... They didn't, the first morning, they didn't realize that good things had happened yet, right? The very first Easter, uh, the disciples, they went to bed Saturday night thinking that Sunday was going to be even more awful than the night before. See, three days before that, they saw their Messiah, who was God in the flesh, who they recognized was God, who they thought was going to come in power and was going to save them. They saw God die, and that messes with your head. I mean, they believed that they waited for all these years, thousands of years, all these prophecies that they saw that Jesus fulfilled, right? All of the stuff that Christ did, and they saw him die. And it looked like that that God was not strong enough to overcome corruption, that he was not stronger than the Roman government, that he was not bigger than their oppression. When Jesus died, so did their hope. And so when they awoke on that Sunday morning, they awoke with no hope. Now, if you have your Bible, uh, oh yeah, we're going to talk about this, but there's a, uh, there is a memory verse that we're going to get to. It's Matthew 28, 6, and that has to do with the very first Easter Sunday. Now, every week we, we talk about being disciples of Jesus to build disciples. One of the things disciples do is we know the word. It's in our heart. And so one of the things we invite you to this morning is we're going to memorize a little piece of God's word. This was from the very first Easter, spoken by an angel, by the way, pretty cool. And this is the first very good news. From the point of despair, God speaks life and hope. And this is what the angel said. He said, he is not here. He's talking about Jesus. He has risen just as he said. Now, let's read about that very first Easter. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew 28. Now, if you have one of those Bibles on your seat or you need one of those, if you open it up, the bookmark is on Matthew 7. And that's not there by mistake, that's on purpose. Uh, That's because we're going to get to Matthew 7 in a minute. So just turn the pages over a few to Matthew chapter 28, and it's going to be on page 698 in our Bibles. You'll know you got there because it also has the Gospel of Mark begins on the next page. So the very end of this is after. When we see the resurrection Now, remember Disciples were afraid They were, in, uh, they were hiding And they were in despair And they thought that uh, everything was lost And so we pick up the story with that It says, after the Sabbath At dawn on the first day of the week Mary Magdalene and the other Mary Went to look at the tomb Now, this is powerful Because, well no, it wasn't the disciples These were the la- gals that were brave enough To, to venture out And there was a lot of reason for them not to. There was a whole lot of reason for them not to. For starters, they just saw their Messiah killed, right? I mean, he basically, God let them down. They had their entire hope on God, and they looked like God had failed. And look at the faith of these women. Even though their Messiah appeared to have failed, they were going to go and not fail him. They were going to embalm his body, even though it looked like all was lost. Not only were they going to go do that, but it was at great personal cost. Remember, at this time, the disciples were locked in a room that were hiding from the authorities because they were afraid that if they killed Jesus, guess who'd be next? And I imagine as these women went to this tomb, they were probably looking over their shoulder, wondering if they were going to be arrested and be the next to be executed. But these brave women, they went to the tomb. And they got to see something amazing. Verse 2, it says, There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid they hid themselves and shook and became like dead men. Which is pretty awesome. Which is not at all what they were expecting to see. And then in verse 5 it says the angel said to these women do not be afraid for I know that you were, for I know that you were looking for Jesus who was crucified he's not here he has risen just as he said come and see the place where he lay then go quickly and tell the disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee there you will see him now I've told you They go to the tomb, and they're expecting to find doom. And they get there, and it's different than what they thought, and there's no body. And the first thing that the angel says to them, which is important for us, is the very first message of the gospel, right, that was spoken was this. Don't be afraid, because fear grips us. When we look at the brokenness of this world and how hard things are, oftentimes we wonder, has God failed? And we are often just stricken by fear, but the first things that the angels said to these women is, don't be afraid. And now, there's obvious reason, don't be afraid. For starters, there was an angel sitting on a rock outside of a tomb. Most of us would be a little shaken, right? I mean, we get that, but I think there's some deeper reasons why not to be afraid. For starters, the body was missing, right? When they first showed up, all they saw was this angel sitting on a tomb. And it's open, And the angel's like, I know you came to see Jesus. He's not here. What? It wasn't bad enough that they killed their Messiah, but had someone stolen him? I imagine this popped into their mind briefly. But God didn't allow that fear to last. Don't be afraid. I imagine there was that fear that they had walking up there. Am I next? They had killed Jesus. Are are we the next to go? God can't even save himself. He can't save us. And the angel says, don't be afraid. See, the resurrection changed everything. Right? The resurrection changed everything. When we have the resurrection, he comes with Jesus. He, 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 he takes people from a point of fear and brings them to a place of power. And at the resurrection, we see that Good Friday has a whole new meaning. Good Friday, up until that point, was a bad Friday. We find that at at the crucifixion, we find fear and anxiety just rampant amongst the disciples, right? Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, standing there wondering, was there any hope? There were those disciples just wishing at that point, saying, God, just bring yourself, call yourself off of that cross. You can do it. But he didn't. On Good Friday, the faith in God looked weak. On Good Friday, there was a lot of uncertainty. If God can't save us, then who will? But on Easter Sunday, with the resurrection, God brings peace, not uncertainty. He brings power, not weakness. He brings purpose into our lives. God gives us something amazing called hope, which is pretty darn good. You see, we move from the shaky ground of the cross to the very solid ground of the empty tomb. And that's where we begin to build our lives. And their lives were changed forever. The, the lives of the disciples and these women were changed forever. I mean, look at them, Peter, right? Just a few days earlier, he was a denier, wasn't he? He was like best friends with Jesus, all that, great disciple, all this. Right before that Jesus is crucified, he sees Jesus being, uh, you know, in the trial, and he chickens out and denies him three times. But he goes from a place of, of fear to a place of saying, you know what? I, I, he came to a place of rock-solid faith. And Peter becomes one of the great leaders of the early church, facing all kinds of hardships and not backing down at all, never flinching. What happened in those three days? Well, he met the risen Savior. There was Thomas. Thomas is a, it was awesome. He was such a reasonable, rational disciple. So rational, he's like, I saw God die. Unless I see him alive with my own eyes, unless I touch him with my own hands, I'm not believing that he's alive because I know enough that when people die, they stay dead. And he goes from that place of doubt to becoming one of the most fearless missionaries in the history of the church, moving up into Turkey and, and even going up into Asia. Amazing. We find John, this young man who was brave enough to stand at the foot of the cross watching his Savior die. He goes from this point of being just broken hearted. You see him transition becoming a bold pastor of the faith. One who outlives the rest and even writes about when Christ returns. I mean, this amazing, this amazing man of God. We find these women, right, who were brave enough to go to the tomb. These women who were, who were there, who were broken hearted. We find them becoming triumphant. We find them being able to, to minister and to lead so many to faith because of what they have seen. We see that when Jesus, he comes back, when we grasp the resurrection, there is a transformation that happens in life. We move from being shaken to being unshakable. The resurrection changes everything, doesn't it? It can even change you. Maybe today you're a little shaken. Maybe you came to church on Easter Sunday because it's the thing that you're supposed to do or somebody invited you or... Or maybe you came this morning because there's just some rough things going on in your life. And you say, God, is there hope for me? God, are you big enough in my life, in my circumstance? Can you help? Maybe you're struggling with finances. Or maybe you, there's some difficulties with relationships. Or, or maybe you or somebody you love is struggling with health and, and you don't know how to handle that or to, how to hold up under that. Maybe there's some suffering in your life and you wonder, is there purpose in it? How am I going to make it through this? Maybe you've been asking yourself, can I find faith to stand strong when things go wrong? And the answer, my brothers and sisters, is yes. Yes, you can. Over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about how to stand strong in this kind of thing. In fact, we're going to hit some of the major doubts or major, major storms that uh, I've seen in, in the few years that I've been in ministry that have come in and shaken people. And these ones are this, failure. And we're going to talk about doubt, how do we handle doubt with faith, and death, and of course, illness. Now, these things are not uncommon, and they come into our lives, and yet they rock a lot of us to our core, don't they? They make some of us wonder, does God still love me? Is God still good when things are bad in my life? And I'll tell you, yes, he is. But those aren't just light words. Our God is good, and he is strong, and he will carry us, and we'll talk about that these next few weeks. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to talk about why we know that God is good and he can give us that foundation. Turn to Matthew 7. That should be where your bookmark is, which is really handy. It's on page 679 if you have a Bible. Is that one of those bookmarks? Or if you have your own, then it's just on Matthew 7. Now, in Matthew 7, Jesus is teaching the disciples a lot of things. So there's a few chapters before, he's talking about the new kind of life, a disciple's life, the new kind of life in the kingdom of God. And he gets to the end of a bunch of awesome teachings, and he tells a quick story about the implications about what he had just taught. And so we're going to start there in verse 24. And Jesus says, Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew against the house. Sound familiar? (laughs) Yet it did not fall because it had the foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose. And the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. i tell you what, God is a practical God, isn't he? And he, yeah, and he gave us a very good visual of this a couple of years ago. So maybe it's like imprinted on us. This morning, we're going to talk about four promises of unshakable faith. When we build our life on God and Christ, his resurrection and his word, some promises that we find in God's word about how God helps us very practically in our difficult times. And the first one is that God gives me peace when I'm anxious. The disciples were anxious before the resurrection. We would agree. If you were a disciple before the resurrection, you too would be anxious. They were scared. And this is what happened on that Resurrection Sunday. This is how Jesus shows up to them. It says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Now, what time was this? The evening. When did the women get to see Jesus? The morning. I'm sure they went back and said, There is an angel, and Jesus is there. He's alive. He wasn't at the tomb. He says he's going to go to Galilee. Get to Galilee. you got to go. And they're like, you crazy women, you might have got lost or something, right? You're like, well, what about the guy wearing lightning, right? But they were like, uh-uh, we're not going out. There's bad guys out there. And they killed Jesus, and they're probably going to kill us, and it's going to be bad. They were filled with anxiety. They had already heard that Jesus had raised from the dead, and they were still locked inside an apartment. And Jesus came and stood among them and said this, not this, What's your problem? I told you I was alive. No, no. He said this, peace be with you. Anxiety is is a freezing element, isn't it? When you are filled with anxiety in your life, you, you, you lack the courage to do the right things. You ever notice that? There are times in life when we are so filled with anxiety, we know that there's something we ought to do, but I just can't do it. I can't get past the thing that I know I must do. And God thaws that he gives us peace. The very first thing, you know, in the next verse, Jesus has to repeat himself. He says, after he said this, right, he just said, peace with you right then. He showed them his hands and his side. He was like, look, really me. And his disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. How important was this? There's a lot of times in our life when we when we face difficulties And we are filled with anxiety. We wonder, has God abandoned us? Has God let me down? I've been praying about these things and difficult things come. Or I've been naughty and I believe that I deserve this and maybe I do. But now God can't help me because I deserve this and it's bad. You know, our God is a God of grace and he's a God of goodness. He is there when we call out to him. Those are four very powerful words, aren't they? Peace. There is no war between us and God anymore. Think about that for a minute. God has a posture of love towards you. Like a good heavenly father. He wants you to come to him. He wants to be in your life. He wants to help you. Peace. You see, Jesus doesn't just give us a light peace where he showed up and said, hey, peace be with you. Jesus overcame death and said, now is here why you can have peace. You see, up until this point, even if Jesus didn't go to the cross, you think the disciples were still a little bit nervous around Romans? Maybe just a little nervous when the the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, came against them and all that kind of stuff. They're like, oh, man, they can do some damage. But when Jesus conquered death, I think they had a little more moxie. Right? Like, what are you going to do? Kill me? (laughs) Ha-ha, come back! Right? There's some power in that, isn't there? Peace! Peace! And I think about this world, and we wonder, what can the world take from me that God has not already given me in greater abundance? Can they take my riches? Oh yeah. Yeah, I can have everything I own washed away. We've seen that happen. You know what? God still provides, and He has given me all the riches of heaven, so not even just in this life, but in the next I'm taken care of. Can I lose all my friends? Can I lose my fame? Can I, can I be hated by all kinds of people? Yeah, that can happen in this world and it would be lousy. But God has given you a family of faith. God has given you He's given you celebrity in the kingdom of God. You are his child. And he has a place for you in his very own house. You think about, well, can I lose my life? Can, can I have my life taken? Actually, it's a guarantee okay, I get a new one. Can I lose my health? Can I go through, can I contract something like cancer or disease or something that's just awful that eats me from the inside? Yeah, that can happen. And God can heal you in this life, and sometimes he does, but I'll tell you this, even if he heals you in this life, you still get a new body. And even if he doesn't heal you in this life, you still get a new body and a much better body. One that can eat and do kind of cool stuff like that, but doesn't get sick again. What in this life can we lose that God has not already given us in greater measure? It gives us a sense of peace, doesn't it? See, everything is under the control of God. Life and death. That's what Jesus showed at his resurrection. That's why he said, peace be with you. It meant something. In Philippians chapter 4, we read, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that an awesome passage? Yeah, I think oftentimes we read and we're like, oh, I feel fuzzy and good. No, no, let me tell you how this works. There was a, a couple of years ago. Zach, our associate pastor, he's awesome. He would walk around the lake with me in the morning, and we would talk about church and pray and, and all that kind of stuff. And at that particular time, a couple of years ago, I was going through a difficulty with another person, and I was filled with anxiety. And, and this anxiety was so bad that it was getting to the point where I was having a hard time sleeping at night, which is really difficult. Like that is not me normally, right? It was just gnawing at me. I was losing my appetite and all that, and things were just getting worse, right? And, uh, and Zach was so good and he would just listen to me and he, was, and he would give me some good counsel and things like this and, and point me back to, to Word. It was awesome, but... Um one day, I, I drove some friends back to the airport, and I was coming back. And as I was coming back, I was talking to God about this anxiety. And granted, I'm a Christian, right? So I'm supposed to be, you know, this is, this is an invitation, not a command, by the way. You don't have to have anxious anxiety. And God brought this verse to me because we did it as a memory verse. And I was driving in my car, and God reminded me of this passage. And I was like, no, God, you don't have to tell me that. I do feel anxious. I've been praying. You're supposed to smite this person with lightning, and you haven't yet, right? That's how you're going to solve my problems. And I was like, no, so I got home, and I still remembered it, and I couldn't run from God's word, so this is what happened. I opened it up again, I was reading it, and I was like, but God, I have been bringing my petitions to you, like, every day. Send lightning. That's what I was doing every single day. But I remember there's something in here that I wasn't doing. I wasn't with Thanksgiving. And I was like, no, God, I'm not going to be thankful for this problem. I'm not happy that I have a rock in my stomach and probably getting an ulcer. I don't want that. But So God said, well, what can you be thankful for? And I said, well, I'm thankful that you're big enough to squash this person. Okay, that's what I'll come with. I'll start with there. So I did. God, thank you that you're good and that you're just. You see what's happening. And And I would pray. And then every day, God began to change my heart for this person, which was awesome. And what happened was was the first week I did this, and I told Zach, I said, I'm going to try this. We're gonna, I'm going to do this. And the first week, I got done with this. And what happened was is that things got worse between me and this person, like absolutely worse, and my anxiety got worse, and it was, it was bad. It was like it went from bad into, to even worse. And then we're walking around the lake again, and I was like, Zach, I'm trying God's word. It's not even working, right? And he's like, just keep, keep at it. <sighs> keep at it, right? <laughs> so I did again another week. Every single time I got anxious, i pray about it, all that kind of stuff, and, and, and things got even worse. I kid you not. And I walked around the leg. I was like, even worse, right? And I was mad. I was like, no, I'm to stick with it. Okay. So then the third week, I'm praying and I'm going to God with thanksgiving. And at this particular point, God had really started to convict me in my own heart. And I realized that this other person really wasn't the devil. and and uh, And maybe I also needed grace too. And so God was doing like this work in my life as well. But I walked around thinking, and you know what? Things got even worse that third week. Things were just kind of coming to a a crescendo ahead. And yet, I was sleeping well. And I was able to eat again. I wasn't filled with anxiety. It was the weirdest thing. I mean, the storm was raging, but I felt fine. And I remember walking around the lake with Zach. I said, I don't get it. Something's wrong with me. This does not make sense. This surpasses my understanding, this weird kind of of peace. And then I realized that was the promise. A peace that makes sense is a peace when everything's calm. But God can give you a peace even when everything is crazy, even in the middle of the storm. And you know what he did with that peace was in the middle of the storm is he enabled me to stop acting out of reactionary. I wasn't still with anxiety, so I was able to do what I knew I was supposed to do. I was able to act kindly to this person and to begin to extend grace and be able to to seek something more than just retribution. God freed me from the anxiety and gave me peace in the midst of the storm. And then you know what happened? After he gave me peace, he then solved the storm. No lightning bolts, by the way. He brought reconciliation. How cool is God? But I think God does this for us so that way he doesn't just always calm the storm. Sometimes he calms us through the storm so that we're never afraid of the storm again. God gives you peace. And if you are in the middle of a storm today, I'm going to tell you that this peace is available for you today. The second thing that God promises us is he's going to give me power when I'm weak. You're feel weak. I do a lot of the time. I think sometimes in our life we want to do something, we want to be a better person, we want to overcome certain sins, we want to be able to love people in a better way, and we find ourselves falling short. Do you ever find that? Or you find that the, the forces of this world are just overwhelming. You think, how am I going to stand up and oppose these things? I don't know how I can, I can be faithful in the midst of all of this. Well, I want to tell you, if you're living with Christ, he makes his power available to you. There is a lie that's out there that says that God will never give you more than you can handle. You ever heard that? It's quoted by a lot of Christians, but it doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. The Bible says God will never give you more temptation than you're able to handle. I think that's nice. But it never says God's not going to give you more than you can handle. If God didn't ever allow you to face more than you can handle, why would you ever need God? And here's the thing, this world is bigger than you. It is more broken than you can possibly fathom. We need God because it's more broken than we can fathom. It's bigger than we are. We can't overcome the world, but Christ already has. That was his promise, wasn't it? It says, I leave you my peace, the peace I give you, right? And why? In this world, you're going to have trouble. Yes, you are, but take heart. I've overcome the world. The power to handle this world is not in you, but it is in Christ, and Christ can be in you. Or better put, you can be in Christ. And it is the very same power. You say, How powerful is this power that God can help me so I can handle this world? Well, it was the same power that raised Jesus. In Philippians 4, we read, He, that is Jesus, is not weak in dealing with you, but His power is among you. Now, awesome. God's not weak, even when you feel like you are, He's not. And he's with you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yes, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him in our dealing with you. If you are today struggling with difficulty and hardship and, and, and wondering, I don't have this power, the strength to get through today, you might not, but God does. And if you are in him, he will enable you to, you'll be able to do amazing things. And you will stand through some storms that will just boggle your mind. People will say, how did you make it through that? And you'll say, I don't know. It must be God. There's a great verse that a lot of people memorize. They say this, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You probably heard it, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I remember when I was in college, I was a football team, and there was these guys, who would be like a buck 60 or whatever, and they'd try to lift like 300 pounds. They're like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And then they couldn't, right? Because that's not what the promise was. He says, I can do all this. And he talks about in context that he can live a life of contentment no matter what. He can live a life for God no matter what. If he has a lot, if he has a little, if things are going well, if they're going bad, God can give him purpose and hope no matter what. He can do all this. He can live for God no matter what. And he can overcome this world. And be even more than an overcomer. How? Through Christ who gives him strength. Who gives the strength? Christ. That is the power of a risen Savior. He is more than an ideal. He is a very real God and we get to be in him. And his power is very much available to us. And I tell you, this room is filled with testimonies of people who have gone through things that would just make your head spin. You say, how did you do it? Well, Christ gave them strength. Here's the third promise that God gives us, and I think is good, is he gives me protection when I'm afraid. Isn't this kind? Everyone has fear, right? Fear is not a bad thing. I just read a book not very long ago. It's called The Gift of Fear. You know, God helps us. Like Sometimes we should be afraid of things. But I'll tell you this, that God gives us also protection in the midst of it. In that Matthew 7, our, our basically our, our verse for this whole series that we had read where Jesus talks about this. He says, you know, that... Uh, uh, He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beating at the house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. You know, you are in Christ, you are invincible. It doesn't mean bad things won't happen to you. It means that God's not going to allow anything to happen to you that he's not going to use. That's what Romans 8 tells us, that God uses, puts together, works together, all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Which means that if you suffer something and you are in Christ, it means that your suffering has value, it has meaning. He's doing something for your good and the good of his, his kingdom. And you might look at your suffering and say, how is this possibly for my good? Sometimes we just have to trust God, but I do know this, that he's always good to his word. And I think what a great promise is that instead of my suffering is just because the world is chaotic and there's no meaning or purpose to it. I'll tell you this, that no one has a perfect life. You came here this morning, and you've got wounds, and you've got scars, and you're hurting in some areas, and you're probably doing pretty good in others. We're all that way. We're in the midst of a church filled with sinners because that's what a church is filled with, because we all need Jesus. That's what it begins with, right? But we're on a path of restoration. How cool is that? And I'll tell you this, the rain's going to come into your life. It's not if, it's when. There are going to be difficult storms that are going to come into your life. Maybe you're in the middle of one now. Maybe you just came out of one. But I'll tell you, the rain will come. And you know what's going to happen is, is the creek will rise. It will. But if we have our life rooted in Christ, there is a hope that we have, a power that we have. Knowing that God is using even this, he is not abandoned. Our foundation is built upon His rock. And his plan, but you know it, sometimes God allows us to not have storms in our life because we build our life on His word. And my wife, when she was in high school, I got to date her then, and this was the worst thing that kids could come up to her and tease her about. They would say, "You're Mother Teresa," because she was good. That was the worst insult that they could sling at my wife, right? Because she was generally just an awesome. She is awesome, awesome gal. Now she's not perfect, but she's pretty amazing. And you know, later in life, she's kept a lot of those friends. And, and over the time, we've had a chance to see those friends and minister them into our home and things like this. And oftentimes, they, they come with brokenness, just horrible things, because they've lived their life in contradiction to God's way. And sometimes they've said, Amy, are you, are you disappointed you didn't go out and experiment and do all these things? And, wild? and Amy's like, no, I don't have regret. Then she's got a life that has kept her safe. On the rock of God's will. And I think that is amazing. What an awesome testimony. I'll tell you that God doesn't just help us through some of the storms. Sometimes he helps us to rise above them so we don't have to face them. In John chapter 16, we said this. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. Because in this world you're going to have trouble. But take part, I have overcome the world. Jesus didn't just overcome the world for him, he overcame the world for all of us. It means all of our sin, all of our suffering, all of the pain, everything he's using and working together for something awesome. And we get to be part of that plan. And whilst we're in that plan, he's not going to let anybody, not even the devil, separate us from God's love. Here's the fourth promise that we have, is that God gives me a plan when I'm uncertain. Isn't this helpful? Have you ever been wondering, what do I do next? God's not... Asking that question. He knows exactly what's supposed to happen. The disciples were uncertain after the crucifixion. What do we do next, I'm sure they were wondering, locked in that room. We're going to have to leave this room eventually. Their Messiah was dead. After the resurrection, Jesus gives them a new plan. And that plan is awesome. He says, you know what? Go conquer the world in my name. You know, uncertainty causes us to go back to God for direction, doesn't it? Have you ever had your own plan and things are just moving along just fine and you find yourself you're not really praying about things because they're working. Why do I need God for my help? I got my plans, they're working. But when things go wrong, don't you find yourself going back to God and saying, uh, help? Right? I think sometimes uncertainty can reveal that we're building our life on a wrong foundation. If I'm really rocked because something happened in my life, sometimes it teaches me maybe I'm building in the wrong things. Maybe I'm... I'm I'm living my life for the wrong things, and maybe I need to go back to God's word and find a better way of living. I think there was this amazing guy uh, that uh, started this this thing called a Financial Peace University. His name is Dave Ramsey, and he and his wife, Christians, all that kind of stuff. But they were building their life financially on the way the world told to do things, and it led them to financial ruin. And it was at that point, even though they were Christians, they said, you know what? Maybe God has something to say about this. And so they went to the Bible and said, God, how are we supposed to handle money? And God tells us in there. He has a plan. And Dave and his wife decided well, we're going to do this. And it has not only saved them and you know, helped them, but they've been able to help millions and millions of people. know that's the way God's word is. Sometimes when we're being shaken, it reminds us that there is an actual rock that we can build our life on. And so God does have a plan for us. And here's a cool thing. He doesn't just have a plan for us when things are going well. There was this prophet named Jeremiah. Jeremiah was born at the time when, when the, kingdom, the, the the people of God were in active rebellion against God. Man, they were just not being faithful at all. And it's hard to be a prophet when everybody wants to kill you and everybody doesn't want to listen to God. It would be very discouraging. And so sometimes we even call him, he's just like weeping, right? It was just bad times. And God tells the prophet, he says, this is the bad things are going to happen to my people because they refuse to build their life on me, right? They refuse to listen to me. And so he, this book is just it's very discouraging and all this kind of stuff. In the midst of these horrible, horrible times, God gives Jeremiah and the people of God a great promise. And this is where we find in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. This was in the midst of where God was saying, I'm going to punish you, I'm going to disciple, I'm going to discipline you to bring you back to faithfulness. There's a purpose in this, that I'm not abandoning you. Difficult times are come, but they're going to shape you, and there's going to be something amazing to come through this. I have a plan for you. And maybe there's times in your life where you've seen God use something difficult in your life to empower you and enable you to become the person he wants you to be or to give you the platform so you can minister to other people the way that he's desired for you to help them. God has a plan for your life. But you say, hey, Aaron, that's great. How, how am I supposed to know what my plan is? Right? God's up there. He's got a great plan for my life. But oftentimes, I feel like I've been left out, and I don't know. You know what God tells us to do? He says, i got a plan for you. You can ask me about it. I'm not kidding. It says this. James chapter 1 says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, does anyone lack wisdom? Yeah, right. You should ask God. What? God wants me to ask him about my life? Is so he going to give me wisdom? But I'm not good enough, right? Oh, I don't deserve God's wisdom. No, none of us do. But look at this. It says, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault? He's not going to be like put you through the bureaucracy. You do deserve my wisdom today. You ask him, and what does he say he's going to do? He says he's going to give generously to all, and it will be given to you. Now, if you ever asked for God's wisdom and you said, I still don't know what to do? Here's the beauty about God. He's wise enough to make sure that he's going to make sure that you don't mess up. He's going to give you his wisdom in a way that he knows that you need it. Because sometimes if God just told you, this is my plan, you'd be like, oh, that's a great plan, God. And then you'd go and do what you ever wanted to do before anyway. God will impart his wisdom to you perfectly, but you have to ask him for it. Include him in your life. There's this thing that says out there, we're supposed to ask, ask, seek, knock. Right? We ask God. I want your wisdom. Then we've got to seek it because God, one of the ways we seek is we go into God's word. God's revealed a lot of his plans to us in this, and so we seek it. We say, God, I want wisdom in this part of my life. And then you go into his word and you seek it out. And oftentimes he, the answer is right in here, and God will reveal it to you. It's helpful. But there's also that knocking portion, we've got to go and actually actively pursue it. I can't say, God, what's my, your, your, your desire for my relationship with my wife? And yet in that entire time I'm treating her like trash. Right? In the Word, it says I'm supposed to lay my life for her. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to love her and cherish her. So the first thing, if I want God's wisdom in that, I say, oh, your wisdom is I need to love and cherish her. Now I've actually got to apply that. Right? I've got to go and do that, and then God will give me those next steps. But if you need a plan for your life, God has it. So we're not building our lives just willy-nilly on sand. Now, there is a plan that God has that I want to make sure that you don't leave this morning. Without knowing for certain. And this is a plan for what does it mean to be a disciple. See, Jesus didn't just come to, to just die for sins. He came so that we could be saved, right? John three sixteen God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus didn't just come to die. He came to save. And he didn't just come to save us so that we could just be, oh, I've got salvation and now I can just do whatever I want. No, he came to transform us from the inside out. We call that discipleship. And if you go back to the very end of this, where we started, the, the very end of the gospel there, to Matthew 28. There is an awesome thing that that's, uh, God gives us his plan for what does he want us to do. And it's the very last part of it. Now, this is right before he ascends into heaven. and He says, okay, he's, he's came, he's conquered, and now he's, he's giving us a commission. And it says here, starting in verse 18, it says, Jesus came to them and said, here's something powerful about this. Maybe you're wondering today, where, where do I start with God? How do I begin building my life on that foundation? The very first thing he tells his disciples to do is to go. It means that everybody deserves to have this offer of salvation. Everybody needs to hear who Jesus is and have the opportunity to build their life on this foundation. This is not for just an exclusive few. This is for everybody, which means it's for you. And Jesus came into this world and and he died for your sins so that you can be forgiven. He rose again so that you can have a new life. He's done amazing things and you can be saved by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you haven't taken that step... And you maybe you have questions about it. Here's something that you can do. In the back of your connection card, there's a little checkbox on the back side there. It says, I would like more information about starting a relationship with Jesus. That's all that means. It doesn't mean you become a Christian today. It means that you would like more information. Make sure that I have your name and have your phone number or a way to contact you clearly written so that I can contact you. And this week we'll get together and we'll talk about what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to come to Jesus in faith? Right? We'll talk about your doubts. We'll answer some of your questions. We'll talk about how I'll help you when you're ready take those steps of faithfulness. So that way you can come to the kingdom. But you know what? You've heard. The second thing we heard, it says baptize, bring people to the faith. Once somebody's heard the gospel, we're supposed to help them grow in that so they can express that faith. In the Bible, it says this, we're supposed to express our faith in God, but if we believe we're saved, by believing. That means trusting him, even despite our doubts, which means we're supposed to confess him. We're supposed to identify with Christ, saying, yes, he's my Lord and Savior. Right? We are supposed to repent, which means we change our lives. We stop living a broken way and start living and building our life in his word. And we're supposed to be baptized, which means we we get to submit to the waters and be baptized, buried like he was, so that we can be raised like he was. It's an amazing thing. But it doesn't stop there. See, a lot of us as Christians, we stop there. What a shame. But Jesus didn't. He said, go and baptize me. But there's something better for you. He says, then teach these new disciples to obey everything I've commanded. It's a better way of life he invites you to. And that's exactly what we do here. And if you are a believer that has been in Christ, you can still build your life on a bad foundation. But here, together, this is what a church does as we begin helping each other build our life on the rock of Christ so that we can face any storm together. So these are the four promises of unshakable faith. The very first thing is that God gives me peace when I'm anxious. What a gift. We see God gives me power when I'm weak. Not only that, but then God also gives me protection when I am afraid. And then God gives me a plan when I'm uncertain. These are the promises that we'll be talking about these next few weeks. These are God's promises for you to build our life on an unshakable faith. Faith is a journey. He says build our life. Who builds a house in one day? Nobody does it well if they do. We build a house, you've got to start. There's a process to it, isn't got to get the land, and you get, then you get the permitting, and you get the financing, right, and you start to build. Faith is this. It's a journey. It's a steps, next steps. And I'll tell you, just like building a house has got next steps, there's always something next to do in our faith and those things too. So if you take out your connection card, I've got some next steps for you. And on the back side, these are things that you can do this week in taking next steps in faith to grow strong in God, to build your life on an unshakable foundation. The first one that you might want to commit to today is to memorize Matthew 26. Why don't you remember that Jesus actually is alive? The angels themselves will say, listen, he's not here, he has risen. Just like he said, this was God's plan all along. Maybe that's what you begin with. You already have the memory verse card. Maybe that's where you begin with this week. Or maybe for you, maybe you read the gospel of Matthew. It's hard to obey all Christ taught if you don't even know what he taught. Will We agree. Maybe what you start with this week is you go and you have a Bible. If you need a Bible, just take that Bible. You already have a bookmark right there in the book of the Gospel of Matthew. Maybe that's where you begin. And read that and see what did Jesus actually say? What did he teach? Or how about this? Maybe you ask God, right? Uh, You ask God for wisdom. Maybe that's what you do. Right now, you could use some help. God says he's going to give it to you. This week, maybe you go to God, and you ask him for wisdom, and you go to his word, and you say, God, what do you, you know, how can you help me with this? Maybe that's what you do. Or maybe this week, what you need to do is, is you say, you know what? I need to be part of a church family. I need to be discipled. I need to have this. I haven't had that. And you say, I'm going to, do, I'm going to be part of this. I'm going to join this church for the next six weeks as we go through this series together. And we would love to have you. We would welcome you to be part of that. If that's any of those commitments or are those you're going to make, please mark them down so I can be praying for you this week. If there's something else God wants you to do, certainly write it down as your pastor, as a shepherd of souls. It's my joy to be able to support you in that. If you have another commitment to make, please let us know. If you have a prayer request, write those down. We do pray for you every week. It's an it's honor to be able to do that. And here in a minute, we're going to take our offering. As we take our offering, I invite you, take these connection cards along with your gifts and tithes and all that and put it in the offering basket as it's passed. Before we do that, would you join me as we we pray for our offering and for our commitments? And then we'll have the worship team come back and and close us with some worship. Let's pray. Father God, you are powerful beyond our comprehension, even our greatest imagination, yet you are also more loving than we could ever fully fathom. We don't understand your ways all the time, but we do get this. Your ways are good because you are good. And you're not good because you do good things. You do good things because you are good. Which means, Father, that we can trust you in the midst of life's storms. I thank you for the promise that we have in Christ that we can stand with you. That we can build our life upon something solid. Something that we can depend upon, Something that won't let us down. In Christ and on his word. Father, help us as a congregation to grow in Christ. Help us to build our lives more fully in obedience to his commands, but also your ways. Father, help us in this to become not legalistic or, or holier than, than other people, but, Father, this, that we become more compassionate, more loving, more giving, more sacrificial, Father, more caring, more like Christ. Father, I pray for those that are here today that need a church family. Lord, I pray that you would bring them and help them come and stay. Father, for those who need to come to faith, I pray for your mercy and grace in their life. Answer their doubts just like you did with Thomas, so lovingly and kind. Father, bring them in your mercy to, from building their life on sand to building their life on the unshakable word. Of, Father, the, the invincibility. of of a life born in you. Father, do that, we would ask. Lord, Father, I pray for our commitments that we make today. Help us to keep them in a way that honors you. We pray for our tithes and offerings, Lord, that you would use them in a way that builds your kingdom. For your glory, we ask in the wonderful name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen.